Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. For those of you who follow us on Instagram, you may remember we ran a competition recently for the best review of My Time Capsule. And the winner was Dave Giles, who wins this little advert. Do you enjoy an occasional whiskey? Well, whether you're an enthusiast or just intrigued to learn more about your weekly tipple or what to try in a cocktail, you might enjoy the Whiskey and Things podcast, hosted by Dave Giles and Nick Kent, featuring reviews, news and guests from the wider world of whiskey, as well as from music, the arts and media. So why not pour yourself a dram and give the Whiskey and Things podcast a taste on your favourite podcast platform or at whiskeyandthings.com. Hmm, all that talk of whiskey made me thirsty. I might, I might just have a little whiskey, actually. Here we go. Yeah. There we are. Mm-hmm. Ah, lovely. Mm. Nearly there. Oh, oh, when? When? <laughs> Don't want to go over the top. Hmm. Well, let's get on with my time capsule. Cheers. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast I ask various guests to reveal the five things from their life they treasure so much that they would like to preserve them in a time capsule. Well, in fact, four things they cherish, and one that they regret and would like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the writer and comedian Athena Kuglenu. Athena is a member of the BBC Comedy Room and was awarded the BBC Felix Dexter Bursary for BAME up-and-coming comedy writers in 2020. She's also a BBC New Comedy Award finalist. She writes for Horrible Histories, The Russell Howard Hour, Radio 4's The Lenny Henry Show, Dead Ringers, News Quiz, News Jack and The Now Show and is a lead writer for the multicultural sketch show Sketchtopia. She also contributes to children's BBC shows The Amelia Gething Complex and Cracker Jack! Sorry, force of habit. Athena has performed stand-up all over the world to great acclaim. 
She's been a guest on Mock the Week, the News Quiz, and the Radio 4 Extra Comedy Club. And she's a regular co-presenter of Luke's Ends. She's penned pieces for The Guardian and Time Out, and she's the host of her own podcast, Keeping Athena Company, where she interviews interesting people whilst eating fried plantain. She's also the mother of a beautiful child, a child that usually has a nap around the time we recorded this chat over the internet. Usually. Anyway, have fun. Athena, what's your first item? So, um, as it was a time capsule, I thought I would just talk about little things that represent big things. And I thought the first item might feel, why are you talking about this? It's something you've urinated on. Why would you want to put this in a time capsule? Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's just, you know, people would find it, be like, ugh. Um, but it's basically the pregnancy test that I took oh, yeah. to tell me I was pregnant. And, and I'm holding the results of that test right now. Yeah. Just backflipping. No. Anyway, the pregnancy test, because um, you won't know this, but I had a very surprise baby. Um, mm-hmm. We're together now, but at the time, me, myself and my partner, we'd only known each other for about maybe eight weeks, if I'm generous. Wow. <laughs> Eight weeks if I'm generous, probably a little less, probably a little more. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, so I've got yeah. a joke about my child being a Tinder surprise. <laughs> it was a very weird time for me because I was planning to do lots of things in my career. I was in my flat. I was still working full time at the time mm. as well, as well as, as performing and writing comedy. And I'd always known I'd wanted to be a parent. Yeah. But I just thought... Oh my gosh. It was, I don't know, have you ever gone into your bank account and seen that you're like £5,000 overdrawn and you weren't expecting it? You know, you thought you'd maybe have £10,000 in your bank account. It was a bit like that. It was a bit like my whole scenery changing in an instant. Like waking up and suddenly, instead of being in a flat in North London having a nice time. With a future that you think you know what it is. Yeah, it was the most life-changing thing that happened. And I was stunned. It was like it was like getting an uppercut from Anthony Joshua, <laughs> you know? For a long time, I had... You know how in cartoons when characters get punched and they've got stars around their head and they're just walking yeah. around and their eyes are kind of little spirals, their pupils are just whirlpools. For weeks, I would I'd drive to work. I was living in London. I was working in Bedford at the time and I'd keep missing my exits, you know? <laughs> I'd end up in, like, Milton Keynes and all kinds of random places but then what happened I was like oh okay it's just fine now and I got over it so do you just keep repeating the phrase to yourself I'm pregnant well more like there's a baby in me you know like like it's really weird I think there's a lot of people who think about these kind of things I think about having babies and getting married I was always more practical than that I was never really a romantic Mm. Uh, I was always very scientific about this kind of thing you have babies you give birth to them you know, I never really thought of children as miracles. And then, and then you have one, and you realise there's seven billion bloody miracles in the world. Yeah, all right? the time. Just, yeah, and you just don't think. I never thought of it like that. So it was being forced to think about something I hadn't really given that much thought to. No. And not only was I forced to do that, it's it was something really significant. It wasn't like being forced to think about the Premier League, or you know, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like when rugby league went professional, and I was like, oh my god, this is life changing. It was something that just happened in the background. I I kind yeah. of knew of it and it seemed like a big deal at the time and I got over it but this was like having to think about something just 
huge. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it is huge. Um, it, is, it is big, and especially if you were the person I was at the time, which was, um, you know, I was... <laughs> I got pregnant with a guy I met and I knew him for eight weeks. That kind of tells you all you need to know about what I was like okay. in those days. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as it sounds, but at the same time, it was what it, it was exactly what it was. So. Yeah. I think that maybe the moment you find you're pregnant is the same for everyone. Even if you're planning it, you're trying for it, you're still hit by the enormity of it all. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, I would say though, it's it's more enormous if it's a bolt from the blue mm. and you're in a circumstance that isn't accommodating to babies. No, so you weren't really together then as a couple? Well, we were seeing each other a lot. But it wasn't just that, it was my practical circumstance. Honestly, I'd leave my house at six in the morning and get back in at one at night. You know, that's what you do when you work full time and you're a performer. And when I was at home, I was writing or I was doing family things with my, you know, I was caring for my mum and things like that. Mm. Um, So it was more like there's no space for a baby. And then knowing I was committed to having her meant I have to make this space. So I had to, yeah. And I did then, but then it became very, then I became very, because I'm a project manager. It was like once I'd gotten over all that, I was like, right. (laughs) <laughs> Organise, okay. Work, okay. I've got to deal with work. I've got to get a. I was a contractor, so I was like, right, I need to get a contract that's going to end in July, so I can go to Edinburgh and mm. I can do a run in Edinburgh and sort of just get a little momentum in my career before I take a career break. And then I told my mum, um, coincidentally, on April Fool's Day. Um, so, <laughs> she, went, yeah, so, yeah, good one. <laughs> well, she she believed me, um, but she then told my brothers who didn't, which is. Um, like, I don't know why you would lie to your brothers about being pregnant. Very no. odd. Um, so that was quite funny. And then she was like, oh, Athena, you know what? When you have your baby, this is amazing news. You know what? You can come around and visit whenever you want. Oh, and I literally brilliant. was like, no, no, I moved in, actually. So I said, <laughs> Great. I, just, I, said, I was like, I think I'm going to visit exactly whenever I want. And I just, that was how I... <laughs> That was how I dealt with that situation because I wasn't getting maternity leave. I wasn't going to be able to perform as much. No. And so I was like, so my daughter's just taking my credit card. They know okay. exactly what to nick. Do you know what I mean? There's, <laughs> there's bits of paper here. There's a post-it note, but she's nicked the credit card. All right, go on then. Um, I'm just it um, The great thing I think, Athena, is that it never seemed to enter your mind then that you should stop what you were going to do. No, 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 because I knew I wanted to be a parent. I was 30, I'm, so, I'm one of those people that doesn't remember their age. I was 35 or 36 um, when she was conceived. So I was like, be, if you want kids and you're that age, you probably should just have them. Yeah. Um, and I've always been, um, she, my daughter's waving at now. She's waving at you now, which is lovely. Um, <laughs> so you got, she's like, she basically picks up uncles and aunties wherever she goes. Yeah. So this is another one. We've got another one. Well done. We're just yeah. waving to each other. We're having a great she's time. She's like, I've got the credit card. Let's go shopping. <laughs> yeah, that's what she's um, going. I've got your pin number there. That's all right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Without wanting it to sound too arrogant, I'm probably the kind of person that should be having kids. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm privileged. I'm educated. I'm a creative. I've got various degrees. I like being a progressive person. I like mm. how I like trying to make the world a better place. You know, I had a good family network. My mum lived alone in, you know, it's not a massive house, but there was enough space. Got two brothers. Yeah. So I just thought, you know, like I've got the qualities to give a baby a happy life. Mm. Um, and lots of people try to have babies and they can't, you know. Yeah. It costs yeah. them tens of thousands of pounds and it's a heartbreaking thing. And I'd always been of the mindset that it's a privilege 
to have children. Mm. Um, and it's an even bigger privilege to be able to accommodate them with a certain amount of comfort, yeah. which was what I was able to do. But more, partly because I'm not a very materialistic person. So I didn't think, I think the biggest myth about babies is that they're expensive. Mm. I think children are expensive. They get me wrong. When they get older, they get expensive. But for the first couple of years... Babies are easy, aren't they, really? You can take them anywhere. You can do anything you like. Exactly. Once you have the accommodation, so somewhere to live and sleep, and you've got so you know, and you can you can feed yourself. um, Once you've got those basic shelter requirements, they literally just. I mean, look, she's got my credit card. This is it now. She's got so many toys. She's got (laughs) lawnmower that blows bubbles, and she wants to play with my credit card. I've got grandchildren. I know all these toys. (laughs) I've bought every one of them. Yeah, although we did give her, because her dad plays golf, I bought her a little mini golf set. She's very into that because she, she could hit things with it, yeah. the golf clubs. Um, I had children when I was very young. So my wife was only 21. I was 22 and just turning 23. Oh, wow. And so really I'd never established in my life anything as an adult. I'd never established my adult mm. life. So my adult life's always had children in it. You've always been a parent. Yeah. So I didn't really feel that I had anything to give up. No, absolutely. I think it's... Um, Again, I speak with a certain amount of privilege because, like I said, um, I kind of a very, I'm a very laid back and relaxed person anyway, and I'm a very practical person. But like, you do fit your lives around them quite mm. easily, especially when they're this young. Yeah, literally, yeah. like in the first year of her life, she just was just stuck to me, and I literally just carried on as normal. <laughs> did you ever take her on stage? Um, no, only when I was pregnant. So I did a lot of performing when I was pregnant. I went to Edinburgh pregnant, and I was working on my due date, doing various filming mm. things and recordings. But no, I don't take her on stage purely because I don't. I try and keep her away from social media. Yeah. And, yeah. Anyway, I said they don't. They don't get in the way. You can work your way around them, but here they are. Fed up about Rest, that. Oh, okay. Okay, do you want to quit? You, 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 you take as long as I. If you want to pause, if you think she might want to go to sleep, you do what you need to do. Thank you for your patience. Give me a couple of minutes and we'll see how this works. No, I've got all <laughs> afternoon. You take any time you you're like. You're ready for your nap time now because you can't have these headphones right now. You're a monster. Uh, okay, you're going to wave bye. goodbye. Yeah, bye. there's a wave. Wave goodbye. Bye. All right, come on, little girl. Oh. Okay, see you in a minute. <laughs> come on. And so Athena went off to try and persuade her daughter to have her afternoon nap. Or maybe she just put her in front of the telly. Anyway, when she came back, we continued our conversation. What did you study at university? Um, I studied history and cultural studies at university, mm. yeah, which was a very informative, if not lucrative, degree to do. Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, it was, I think, it's weird. I think with tertiary education you could really learn a level of critical thought that is denied to you via secondary school and, and your high school and college years. Mm. And so it can really set you up for for things that they may not be initially vocational connections. So, you know, if you're an accountant or a lawyer or an economist or a doctor, um, yeah. but I guarantee you I would not be the comedian I was today without those three years of study. No. Absolutely not. I learned so much about critical thought and the world and social theory and, and uh, it was a very eye-opening thing and I always have to remember that I did three years at uni so when I go on Twitter and someone says something stupid mm. it's like oh, okay well you know I did you know I did do I wrote dissertations <laughs> on this you know um, so that's what we have to remember as well it's like a lot of the yeah. stuff which and yeah. self-criticism as oh, well yeah, which is massively there's a, there's a term that isn't really in popular use called reflexivity which is all about you have an opinion but you have to always understand that you hold that opinion not 
largely because of who you are, where you come from. Yeah. And you could have easily come from anywhere else. And then you'd think the same and you have to, and I, I find myself having to apply that more and more when I think about, you know, Trump and Brexit and things like that. Like mm. it's not them. It's sometimes it's just where they come from. The same way you are, you are where you come from, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's very easy to become angry about somebody who thinks differently from you. Yeah. But they may well do that because of their entire culture, because of their upbringing. It's a bit like seasoning meat. Yeah. If you get a chicken and you and you make it like jerk chicken, or if you get a chicken and you make it like sweet and sour chicken, they're going to taste different. You know, they're going to be fundamentally yeah. different. You've got two <laughs> different meals there. People are like that. We marinate. We marinate in our culture and yeah. our families and our ideas and what we're exposed to uh, in our wants, um, you know, um, in our, our different needs to be accepted by different people, blah, blah, blah. So we end up in different places and, mm. it, you know, it's very difficult to bring people together, which is why people use polarizing things to c- keep control because it's really easy to polarize. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I think those ideas are the ideas we probably need to think about more rather than saying these people are wrong. They probably are wrong, but they're probably right to think the way they think based on their background. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So if, if you had had their life, you'd probably think that way too. Um, Indeed, so. absolutely. And also the narrowness of a life quite often. Mm. If it's actually confined within a very small area with very little experience of anything else, why would you understand those other things? Yeah, this I'm from North London. I'm from a good area. I went to a terrible school. I have African heritage. I have Indian heritage. You know, I've always mixed with different classes and different peoples and was never ashamed to be into anything so I could have massively wide cultural tastes. So that has resulted in mm. a fairly cool person. You know what I mean? Fairly cool ingredients. <laughs> you know, even if I say so myself. And not everybody... <laughs> you do. And, I, and I do all the time. Um, but not everybody has that. Some people grow up in much more insular environments, which is another reason why a big thing is like how do we give people access to... You know, so things like shutting libraries was something that made me very angry. I remember I, I went to campaign against them. They were going to shut my local library. I studied in that library, you know, so yeah. that was unacceptable to me. And just what a great thing, going to a library and all the things that I have access to, you have access to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we broaden people's horizons? So I'm from London. I loved it when they made buses free for young people. Because now, all of a sudden, all these kids who care about their postcodes can get on a bus and go wherever they want, you know? And I don't think people really understood the value of that um, because they didn't understand that not everybody has that freedom. No. And the concept of coolness, though, and that sort of thing, (laughs) it is personal. (laughs) Even if people say, oh, you're really cool, generally it's how you feel about yourself. So, in fact, you know, you will see someone walking down the street with the most awful mullet, <laughs> and you can see they think they're cool. Oh, coolness is self-expression and the freedom of it. When I say I'm cool, I really mean I'm just, I try and be sensible, but coolness is a kind of mm. ethereal state of being or whatever. It's just it's just a contentment <laughs> to express yourself in a way that you choose without having to defend it. Contentment, yeah. that's, that's a marvellous thing, and I wasn't, to be content. Oh, yeah, and I wasn't always content, you know, and I think because I remember what I was like, I know even more, like, oh, okay, this is, I'm a much happier person now than I was you know, 20 years ago, because I know 20 years ago, I would have agonised over things that I don't care about now, no. because I know they're not important. Yeah. So do you think that uh, incredibly dramatic moment of suddenly, well, pissing on a stick <laughs> <laughs> and going, oh, my word, I didn't expect this. That's bound to change you, isn't it? That's bound to create the person you are now. Yeah. I'd even go so far to say 
it didn't really change me at all. <laughs> it, cha- it changed the setup of my life, how I needed to live, yeah. how I needed to work things out financially. It changed me practically. And I think I probably became, parenting comes with anxiety uh, because you worry. You get a, a form of worry that you've never had before in your life. And it, so it's, it kind of heightened the kind of my sense of worry because you worry about your kids. Uh, well, I'm not that worried. I've shut the door and stuck the TV on and <laughs> go watch. <laughs> I'm not that worried about it now. But um, genuinely speaking, I worry about her, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, I wasn't used to being anxious really before I had a child. But generally, I kind of, I kind of just was like, oh, I've got a kid now. I basically like, you know, when you like buy one, get one free. It's the same thing when that is <laughs> another one there. Um, but it hasn't, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm probably marginally more responsible. You know, I wouldn't, I used to perform all over, well, all over the country. And, you know, I used to happily sit in my car for four or five hours and go to some gig in a mountain, literally mountain, especially going to Wales and then, do the gig and just I'll just drive back and it'll be fine. Like I probably I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. Um, so I t- I'll probably take fewer risks. But generally speaking, I'm kind of not that's different. And that goes back to me being really quite sure about knowing I was going to have this baby because I was like, well, that if I'm not ready to have a baby now, I don't know who's going to be ready. You know what I mean? Like I always yeah. knew in my head that this wouldn't be a big deal. Um, and it was really nice, actually. I didn't tell anyone, apart from my family, I didn't tell anyone I was pregnant for ages. People either found out when they saw me or I just, you know, I would have told them because it became necessary. And their responses were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Man. Your kid's going to be this, your kid's going to be that. She's going to be, like, reading by the time she's six months and blah, blah, blah. So that was a very um, ego-boosting, you know, it would be awful if you told people you were pregnant. And they were like, oh, oh dear. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, you know, it really affirmed that decision to sort of continue and it also made me think that like I said like if you're busy and if you're a sensible educated intelligent person and you haven't got kids and you don't want them that's fine but if you do want them don't worry too much about how you fit your life in around them you can to a certain extent just they just slot in really um, yeah. yeah life goes on oh, I have to, there was one big change and that's actually going to relate to the next thing on my list oh great um, okay well then we'll take your pregnancy test and we'll put that into the time capsule that's the first item so let's move on to the second item so in 2005 I did something called Run London and it was the first time I'd run and I still have the shirt and that was you know and it still fits me by the way um, <laughs> and um and I did that at a time in my life when I was kind of transferring myself from being very I think I won't say irresponsible but I lived my life in a fairly indulgent kind of fashion you know I was in my 20s and I was in I guess a nice job for that my age I was working in Camden which in London if you know it is a very nice place to be if you're mm. in your 20s and in a nice job and in an okay range yeah. and it's got everything you want yeah it has and yeah. I was living at home for various reasons and I sort of was feeling a little bit well if this is what life is let's just let's just have a good time not a long time whatever the saying is I can't remember the saying I'm very bad with sayings <laughs> and then eventually something I don't know how this happened but I started to get interested in doing other things and I started to get interested in running and I wanted to put that shirt in because it signifies a massive change in me that was a change for the better which was finding a kind of balance in my life that I think we kind of neglect 
in our conversations these days because we talk a lot about um body positivity which i think is hugely important but at the same time we've got all these clean eaters out here kind of telling you to eat drink water for 14 days and then have a watermelon and you know and then like <laughs> try and function and this is also and actually like it's such a cliche but we've literally forgotten the obvious thing which is just balance like humans are living things you have a plant and you stick it in the corner and you don't give it any sunlight you don't water it and you don't feed it the right things the plant dies and we are plants we are human biological massive chemistry machines that have all things working mm. and i once i started to embrace that redress that imbalance in my life which is basically drinking kebabs pizzas fried <laughs> chicken more drinking um mm. never did drugs always drank drinking was enough for me and i couldn't have, i mean i always found drugs really expensive um so i never did them but i drank a lot and i had a nice time and i started to get towards kind of challenging myself to be a healthier fitter person whilst not being so boring i still didn't <laughs> enjoy a, a san miguel every now and again and and i like that and the reason why I say it changed because if there was one thing that I couldn't prioritise anymore, it was my physical fitness. After I'd had my baby, I used to go to the gym maybe three times a week and I used to, I was a cycle commuter when I worked, so I cycled every day almost um, and I would get up on a Saturday and I'd happily do six fast miles. When I say six miles, I mean they were fast miles, Michael. Really? Don't underestimate me, that was good. <laughs> now I've got, you know, we've got a spin bike and I might go on it once a fortnight. And that was, a, for me, huge change. When you dedicate yourself for over 13, 14 years to, you know... Nihilism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. And just, and then all of a sudden you get soft, and then to be happy with that, that wasn't, yeah, so that changed. And I, I, that my priority changed. And I realised all this work I was doing in the gym and all the obsession I was placing on my 5K times and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. yeah, how important it is. Although my, my daughter runs her 5K every day and is very keen on the time. But she now has that joy of having passed it on to her children. So her son, who's eight, runs with her. Oh, so I mean, that's beautiful. And I think when I, you know, one of the reasons why I had to sort of knock it on the head with my daughter was when I was with my mum, I didn't really have the childcare. No. And when I had childcare, it was, I would use it for work. I didn't want my to take up the time of my friends and family for me to go off and ask about in a gym. Um, and um, even now, like now I live with my partner, it's still a real childcare issue because of work and things. Mm. But I'd love to get back to that. And we do, yeah, I think it's such an important thing to instill in people because you get so much confidence out of it yeah. you know you really do I was a very shy and unconfident child because I just didn't feel you know these things were things that I would look good doing but that doesn't matter or these these are things I was capable of but that doesn't matter because you're capable of what you're capable of at the time and you get better yeah. because you improve yeah. um you know what, hearing that your daughter runs 5 heavy days made me feel quite competitive now. I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> you want to get back to, out there. Yeah, 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 I did, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, but so I'll never lose that. And I still care about those kind of things, but it doesn't stress me out anymore. Um, no, and but it's a thing for life, you know. I mean, I love it when I see well, people of my age running, you know. I, I do occasionally run. I did start the couch to 5K and got to the arm of the couch. <laughs> Next, you've got to get to the radiator. Okay, you get yeah, removed yeah. from the couch. Yeah. The thing about running is it's not for everyone. So, so Oh, my people... wife hates it. My oh, wife God. hates it. There's nothing worse than going out running with somebody who hates running. You just think, mm. goodness, just go home. You'll give me a headache, you know. So you've got to find what you like. And I walked, so I'm a big walker. 
So that's the thing that replaced running. So I would walk everywhere. Like if it was three miles or less, I feel like it's a walkable distance for me. Yeah. It gets under an hour. So easily walkable. And with your buggy, you know, that's an easy thing to do. The um, joy of London, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can basically walk almost anywhere in it. Wherever you are in London, if you walk three miles in any direction, you'll get to a high street that has everything you need, you know? Yeah. So that's really, really fortunate. You know, not everybody can do that. Some people have to, have to walk 20 miles. You know, there are some places <laughs> I perform comedy where you're driving for hours and you think there's nothing here. How do people live? Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> no wonder they laughed a lot. This is all they have. Yeah. I'm not funny. It's just this place is isolated. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so did you start with Run for London when you started doing this or, or was that the culmination of it? That was the culmination of it. I think I started just running mm. and I didn't have the confidence to, like I said, I always used to feel embarrassed about the idea of running. And one day, genuine, I always, I still remember it to this day. I was at home and I was like, I really just want to go for a run. So I went and that was it. And I spent my whole life up to that point thinking if people look at me running, they'll think I'm just, I was just a fat girl trying to lose weight or they'll think I'm this or they'll think I'm that. I just suddenly, I had all these invented voices in my head giving me commentary that would deter me from running and then one day I just thought let me go out for a little saunter mm. and, and that was it and then I just started and the, that show represents a finishing the first 10k which is like a very a milestone distance I think in running but it, it also it represents kind of like not just the culmination or something but the start of it becoming quite an important thing to me mm. running's a wonderful way to um it's almost like a physical therapy for your body. So you can go to see a therapist and you can talk through the things that happen in your brain, mm. but running is like the same thing for your body. Yeah. And I can't explain why that is. I think it's because it's running and perhaps rowing. They're probably the most strenuous physical things you can do. Probably cycling too. But I would say running because it has the physical aspects. So it the cardio. Mm. And then it means once you've completed whatever it is you had wanted to complete, whether it's 5k or run up a hill or run from A to B, once you've done it, you get a real sense of, right, what's next? Yeah. You know, that's what when it leaves you, this is a sense of what do I do next, which is very energising for Yeah. Me. If I run, I run with headphones in, but I have nothing in the headphones. So in fact, what it does is it concentrates my thoughts on the sound of my breathing. In a way, I suppose it's sort of slightly yogurish. Or- it's very yogurish. And breathing and being out of breath are so important to us as physical beings. Mm. We often associate being out of breath with like a negative thing. Oh, it was so tiring. Oh, when you look at children, yeah. their whole aim of every day is to get themselves out of breath <laughs> as soon as possible. It's like they wake up and they're like, right. And they, and they, and it's, it's incredible. that, And we remember that emotion, actually. We can remember what that was like, being in the playgrounds, you know, at break time in schools or whatever, playing out with your friends in the summer holidays. Like, being out of breath is the objective, mm-hmm. you know, you, and then you want to, you know, that feeling where you say, oh, what do we do next? What do we do next? Yeah. It's, it's, it's lovely. And then somebody says, chase me. And then you do. Yes. Everyone calls it tag, it, whatever you kiss, chase, whatever you want to call it. You know, these games are fundamental and we lose that pleasure as adults, mainly because um, I can't pinpoint why. But we see getting out of breath as work. I think it's been kidnapped by, like I said, the clean eaters. So it's like, oh, yeah, go to the gym, do exercise, take a picture. And it's like, no, it's more spiritual than that. You know, it's not about attaining a certain body type or attaining a certain lifestyle that you want to show and have people to replicate. It's about inner peace more than anything. Yeah. And you can do that at all sorts of levels, can't you? For example, as you say, just walking. 
Although I do occasionally see people who are walking so slowly that I think you must be breathing as if you're asleep. <laughs> There's no effort involved in it. Oh, yeah, I will say I'm not a huge fan of slow walkers. And I'm always <laughs> checking. I'm like, I better see a peg leg or you better be 90 years old. There better be an excuse here because come on. So, yeah, I'm one of those awful people. <laughs> no, no. It's a very ableist thing to have a go at slow walkers, but sometimes they're just texting, which is very <laughs> annoying. I was walking through King's Cross Station once and someone was reading a book. I was like, Athena, breathe. Yeah. <laughs> How can you... King's Cross Station is a very busy station. Read when you get... Anyway, I'll get... It still pains me <laughs> to this day when I think about that person. But yeah, whatever you do, don't forget that, generally speaking, putting your body through some kind of stress is always of benefit. It's not a kind of hashtag living my best life nonsense. It is actually like that is what we were put here to do. We weren't put here to just sit in front of Netflix and watch Money Heist <laughs> back true. to back until the end. Very true. Yeah. As a reminder of that, then, I'm going to put your T-shirt into the time capsule. So that's your second item. Athena, what's, yes. what's your third item? We're going to take a short break here for some adverts. We hope we'll be back in a minute. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. Okay, let's find out what else Athena Kuglenu would like to put into her time capsule. The third item, I'm wearing it right now, which you can see it, your listeners won't see it, but it's it's this Casio. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Old style Casio. Casio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of functional things. I said earlier, I'm not a very materialistic person. I'm not. I'm a nightmare with birthdays and Christmases. No one else wants to buy me. Mm. I'm just like, just donate to a GoFundMe or something. Yeah. Know? Oh, look who's back. Um, my child's come back into the room. That's all right. Um, so I'm a big fan of Casios, and I think um, I wanted to just put this in the time capsule because I guarantee you when it's dug up again in a thousand years' time by aliens or composite humans made of robots and humans and, all, and androids, this will still be working. <laughs> it will. It won't have lost a minute. It will be accurate and they'll take it and they'll keep it for themselves and they'll pass it down to their children. Yeah. And I love all Casios, but mainly um, there's a particular Casio that terrorists use to set off their bombs. I don't know if you know about that. That's a great watch. Um, <laughs> I'll pause this for a moment. Oh, look, look. Hello. Can you uh, hear me? Uh, 
You can hear me, can can't you? you? <laughs> I need these back now. I'm going to go back to the other room and we're going to put the TV on for you. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to put it back in front of the TV. Okay, so I'll see you Come on, I'll start <laughs> this TV for you. All right. All right, she's sorted now. So I was, I think I was about 12 when I got my first Casio. I got it for Christmas. You still have it. it must, you must still have it. It still works. I don't. I don't I, do you know, it lasted about two hours. <laughs> it was a watch in a moulded plastic band that you clipped over your arm. And a neighbour of mine came over for drinks and had too many drinks and went, let me try it on, let me try it on. And he tried it on and the watch came out of the band and the band broke. So he broke my watch two hours after I'd got it for Christmas. Yeah, that's unacceptable. I will say, when I say the Casios last forever, the actual watch bit does, the straps are terrible. Like, yeah. the, the straps yeah. are just trash. <laughs> yeah, this one actually falls off all the time. I'm very vigilant with it. That's the... Have you had it for a long time? Yeah, so I, I'll give you a very particular reason I bought it. I can have a stopwatch on it, but when I've got the stopwatch, I can still see what time it is, and that's great for performing. Oh, yeah, so I time my gigs, but I'm also obsessed with always knowing what the time is. So I always have it set on the stopwatch, but I can always see that what the time is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> someone's someone's back. That's all right. Um, I showed somebody this watch. It was my father's, and I don't wear it because I don't want to lose it. And he said, "Oh, that's a very nice watch. Oh, it's worth about four grand." And I said. I don't care. Yeah, it's that's not what it makes it gives it value to you. No, you know, he could have given you a Casio and you'd, you'd keep that. If there's one thing I feel like I've witnessed the kind of expl- not explosion of it's always been this way, but if there's one thing I've seen become just so much more prevalent. It's sort of materialism. Mm. People now aim to have careers as kind of influencers, but all influencers do is they influence you to buy stuff. Then they influence you to stop dropping litter. <laughs> yeah, quite. It's, but it's true. Like if we if we have all these influencers now, why aren't we influencing each other to just be better people? But it's normally like I'm an influencer and I want you to buy this face cream. Or... Yeah, and more interested in being better dressed than being better. Yeah, and I'm not sure that I. I'm, on one hand, it, it gives access to income to people who might not have had access to this before. So now, before influencers, quote unquote, only came from a narrow pool of society. You had to look a certain way. Mm. That's maybe subscribe to certain values. And you had to pass through gatekeepers and they would decide whether you could be an influencer and then you became one. Now you can set up an Instagram account and you can be one and that accessibility is probably um, a good thing. Yeah. But all we've given ourselves access to is the same kind of cesspit really. <laughs> you know, we don't have to be like people to to find that like freedom and that what we can do is we can really challenge the whole environment that we exist in, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, it does. I've never paid more than fifty pounds for a watch. I've never paid more than Seven and a half thousand pounds for a car. Oh, I've done more on both. Wow, I feel terrible now for saying I'm not materialistic. <laughs> I paid nine grand for my car. I'll tell you a funny story about my car. Doing comedy, did a lot of miles in in cars, lots and lots of mileage. And I used to always buy my cars from men underneath flyovers. Do you know what I mean? I'd just go and find some creepy person, give them five hundred quid, and get a banger. My thing was always, you buy a new car, change the filters, get an oil change, you're fine, right? And I learned that lesson over and over again. And then one day, yeah. um, I had this car that was just a nightmare. And then one day, I was driving on the, on the North Circular in London, and the tyre exploded, oh my God. and it couldn't have been more dangerous. And I was like, I'm buying a new car. So I walked into my dealership. By this point, I'd had savings. 
And this guy must have seen me coming. He must have been like, oh, she's... And I was just like... And I did look on the website before, so I saw a car that I wanted. At that time, it was the play of the year. And I was like, I want that car. I'm buying it now. Give me the keys. And and it was the best decision I ever made. Because, you know, when you drive your car and all you do is hear noises you're not supposed to hear. The stress that was eliminated from my life the day I bought a reliable car. Best nine grand ever spent buy the best car you can afford because I've had I had one car where I was driving down the M1 it was a Ford KA and the bonnet just went it flew up um, and the it, and I was like oh this isn't good so I pulled in and the head gasket exploded I, I, did you know they can explode no I didn't my know. one did um, and so it and it was that wasn't good and no. I got that car for about 350 quid <laughs> so of course the head gasket exploded right um, and that's right that's obviously a write off you can't um, one car um, <laughs> I had a little polo that just gradually just fell apart bit by bit my first car was one of those cars where if you had the windscreen wipers on the radio wouldn't work it's yeah, one of those yeah. things yeah inexplicable things like that I mean I look forward to all the developments that are happening in cars I always think oh great in about 10 years time I'll have that <laughs> That's so true. So I got Bluetooth in my car and I was like, this is great. But everyone's had Bluetooth for about 10 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, got, I mean, even my air conditioning, it was the first time I really had functioning air conditioning, which is obviously not a, a modern thing at all. But you don't, again, it goes down to, what, you know, what's valuable to you. Like yeah. everything that's valuable to me is, is in this car. It's safe, first of all. It's reliable. It's efficient. And it works. And yeah. it's got space. Space. I bought one of those sort of seven-seater things, mm. but only so I could fit all my grandchildren in and I could take them all to the coast. And then, of course, they were forbidden from seeing me. They were forbidden from seeing me because you take them to the coast all the time? No, because of COVID. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. How yeah. did I forget? I'm so used to it. Yeah, you know, it's so sad because we, my mum is shielding mm. at the moment. So she misses her grandchild. Uh, my daughter... When she was born, my twin brother had his baby on the same day as me. No. She's got a twin cousin. I shit you not, Michael. That's true. Wow, it's that's true. amazing. Oh, God, all those shared birthday parties. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, it's already, it's already been great. They live in Australia, sadly. Oh. Um, yeah, but it was great. So when I found out I was pregnant, it was mortifying because my brother, is, you know, he's, he lives with his girlfriend, very respectable, and I'm like, oh, God, like, I've gone, <laughs> got myself knocked up. And it's just... So it was just with that contrast made it look even worse than it was. Um, <laughs> but it never even occurred to me that we would have our babies on the same day. It never even occurred to me that was a possibility. And I had my child incredibly late. She was like, you know when you've got a bag of shopping, it's too much shopping in it. That's what I was like. I was literally <laughs> bit to burst. And um, my sister-in-law um, had hers a bit early. So it was like the planets aligned. Yeah. Something was in retrograde and they, they came out on the same but day. But you waited even um, though you were well overdue. You weren't induced or anything. I was induced. I had to, I, in the end, I got induced because I yeah. got a bit concerned. And she came out well overcooked. She came out like a normal baby. Like, you know, <laughs> newborns are like... Came out reading books. Oh, yeah. She was like, right, what's what's coming up? Where's the breast? I need a bit of this now. Like, I'm tired of this cord. It's not doing what it used to. So she, she came out very... So there's, I think you have your kitchen when you want to. But I don't think there's anything wrong with a couple more weeks gestation. We come out too early anyway. Mm. So Let them cook. That's it. Why yeah. not? And yeah. it's, do you know what? Your last few weeks pregnancy, it's such a cool time. Mm. You're just chilled. You're just waiting around. You're probably prepared. You're eating what you like. Yeah, I had a nice time. I was eating out every day. 
I was meeting my friends, going for nice walks. It was a really peaceful. And my cinema, my local cinema, did half price Mondays. <laughs> so I was like, this is brilliant. So I'd go to the cinema on the Monday and I'd have my little week schedule. So it was all great. And without a doubt, people look fantastic, don't they? What, when they're pregnant? When they're really heavily pregnant. I think it's a funny look. It's funny. I enjoyed being pregnant, I have to say. I don't know why I enjoyed it. I just thought it was a really, it was almost like there was an experiment happening in my body. <laughs> and it was, I think for me, having spent so long trying to practice control over my life, you know, over my physical activity, over what I ate and, mm. you know, it was really nice to have that control taken away from me and to be happy with that. And that definitely improved me. You can't, you know, when you're pregnant, you're, you, you know, there are certain things that happen to your body that you cannot control. You all eat garbage because you just have to. You have to eat. I ate a lot of fish fingers when I was pregnant. A lot. <laughs> just ludicrous amounts of fish fingers. Was that your craving? Fish fingers? I craved beige food. So fish fingers, white bread, anything breaded, I just was really into. I don't eat meat. So it was all kind of like just fish fingers and weird processed vegan nonsense <laughs> things linda mccartney sausages yeah. and just brown beige flavorless <laughs> food and i was quite skinny so i think my body was saying you need you, no 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 this is not gonna gonna sustain a child you are not gonna make breast milk out of skin and bone you gotta get eat those sausage rolls or whatever i found these vegetarian sausage rolls mm. got really into them so i ate a lot of them they're nicer yeah. actually I, I, well you wouldn't know because you don't eat meat but i think they're nicer well i used to eat meat so this is my theory about meat and i think it Basically, meat doesn't taste nice, really. It only tastes nice when you do things to it. And sausages in particular, that like it's the texture that people like of sausages. It's the texture, it's the fattiness, it's the process of frying them in the pan and having a spit. So you can recreate that quite easily without kind of using the meat. Um, the only meat that does taste nice is fish. Fish is delicious. It is delicious. I love fish. I didn't love fish when I was young. Oh. When I was 21, I toured Australia and we were doing very well, thank you. And we had lots of spare per diems. We ate in the most glorious fish restaurants all oh. over Australia. And every time I had a steak. Oh, what a waste. I really regret it now. Think of all that shrimp and lobster. And, and John Dory and amazing stuff. But there we are. You, That's my life. I've wasted it, thrown it away. Youth is wasted on the young. If, if, there was, if ever a story illustrates that, that, that is the case. It's true. I mean, we season food with fish, right? Like, but it's very hard to season food with like cow. I have my mother-in-law living with me and she really only ever wants to eat meat, potatoes and two veg. Oh, That's yes. what she likes to eat. <laughs> My wife constantly comes up with these amazingly inventive things, lots of vegetarian food, and she really struggles with it. So uh, the other day we made shepherd's pie. She was so excited, but we didn't tell her it was corn. <laughs> she didn't know any difference. She was perfectly happy. And she still doesn't know. We haven't told her, no. You know what? Good. She listens to this podcast, oh, so maybe, no. okay. maybe this will be it. And you can cut that bit out if you want. But keep I might it. have to cut it out Look, just to keep the secret. If you, if you keep it in, let me just say one thing. Mm. I can't believe you couldn't taste corn. It's disgusting. It's the worst one. Okay, it's the worst. <laughs> I would get a soy alternative. I hate. I mean, my partner have a thing where because he only eats chicken. He won't eat other meat, and I don't eat. I don't eat meat, so he buys corn, and I just think it tastes like trainers. <laughs> you know, it just tastes. <laughs> I just think it's. I, I just I think agree. it's awful. Um, so the corn in particular. So. Ha very naughty you, replacing meat with something worse than meat. You know, that's... I know. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> even that my wife said to me, 
I can't believe it. It's disgusting. How does she not know it's not lamb? Yeah, but I recommend using, you get basically dehydrated soy. Okay, that's the one I'm going to use. It's super cheap. Get Holland and Barrett, you get a big bag of it for one ninety nine. And all that saved money I'm going to spend on my £12 Casio. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, we should move on. We should put your Casio into the time capsule mm. and go for your next item. What is it? Um, so this is, I don't know if I'll ever get famous enough to go on Desert Island Discs. This might be my Desert Island Discs, so I'm treating it like it. Okay. Um, and I've always thought, I know that when I go onto this island and I get asked, Dina, what are you going to take with you? I'm going to take with me a tub of shea butter. If you don't know what shea butter is, it's like cocoa butter, but it's made out of uh, the fat that comes from the nut of the shea palm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's used widely in West Africa, specifically well-known as being a Ghanaian product, and I'm half Ghanaian. And it is just the most wonderful skin product. It's like rubbing butter into your skin. It's like seasoning yourself. <laughs> Every time I come out of the shower and I rub and I cream myself with shea butter, I do feel genuinely like I'm marinating myself and I'm about to go into the oven and I'm going to come out very delicious. <laughs> It's a wonderful mm. product and it could go in that time capsule. So when people dig it up and they find it, they will realise how over embellished we have made quite simple things in our life these days. You go to John Lewis or Debenhams or yeah. Boots or Superdrug and you just see bottles and bottles and containers and containers of things that are supposed to make you look young, feel good, get rid of your wrinkles, make you happy, make you intelligent. The thing, the promises they put on these creams <laughs> is just, the, this, this cream will give you the answers to all of life's questions. This cream will make a man or woman attracted to you, blah, 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 blah. And I just think Shea Butter does all of this. And it costs about, I buy a kilo of it for £12. Really? And it's the best thing. And it is included in a lot of these products, by the way. You often see products with a bit of shea butter in it and shea moisturiser. But the actual pure thing is wonderful. And it's the kind of thing that I sneak into my suitcase when I come back from Ghana. <laughs> and I hope, I hope Customs doesn't open a suitcase up. It's a wonderful thing. And I and I would like if the world ended and, like I said, aliens from Pluto come and they find this thing floating in space, I would like that to be recorded as, uh, as, a, as a human artefact that we use. Uh, why should they um, miss out on it? Something so glorious. These things are supposed to be reptiles. I think they would need a bit of moisture, yeah. actually. They'd probably, be, they'd probably appreciate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's weird. And it's one of those things where I want the world to know about it, mm-hmm. but then I know when the world does know about it, I'll be really annoyed. And it'll probably involve people who don't believe in it probably getting very rich off of it. So I probably, do. I think I might want to keep it a little secret in that that we keep within the black community and the community of people who are, who are like-minded. And it will suddenly become like a kind of, yeah, an absolute luxury item. Like a, once I make Casio's really popular, you know, that's the end, that's the end of my 20 pound watches. Well, no, but you can see it as an investment. <laughs> You've got them on your arm, you know, you've got the money. True, yeah, yeah I got them when they were cheap. I got them when they were cheap, yeah. yeah. But there's always, it, it tends to happen. I mean, I really like plantain. It's a very, being African and Caribbean, I'm doubly interested in plantain. I've never eaten plantain. I talk to people all the time, right, who tell me they've never eaten it. And I'm just like, how? I know. It's almost like telling me you've never tried rice before. Yeah. I've known about it all my life. I've never, ever eaten it. And it's wild. And you know what's funny? I have a podcast and it's a fundamental part of my podcast is people come to my house and I fry them plantain. Uh, That's the thing. I've got to do it because it's a ridiculous thing, isn't it? It's mad that you haven't. And you're you're based in London, right? 
No, I'm not. I live down in Tunbridge Wells. I live in Tum- you can get flights in Tunbridge Wells. I know, I know this for a fact. You definitely can. Almost without doubt at the end of my road. Yeah, because my friend is from Barbados. He wouldn't live in Tunbridge Wells if you couldn't get flights in there. Like, I know that for a fact. He right. would not have moved there. So that's how I know. Just make sure, because you're trying it for the first time, you don't want a green one, mm-hmm. right? You don't want a black overripe one. You want a yellow one with black spots. Okay. Okay. The green ones are starchy. They'll be like eating a potato. Yeah. Um, the overripe ones are really soft. That would be like eating almost savory ice cream really sweet really? um yeah but the the you know a yellow plantain with black spots if you fry that and you've got to use vegetable oil don't use um like sunflower oil you can't use olive oil it's got to be a high temperature oil right um and not too much oil you don't need to deep fry them you can shallow fry plantain and that, that's absolutely fine because because we eat it all the time and it, like i think there's a myth- mythology like it's an unhealthy thing and it's suddenly you don't have to deep fry it you just you know just shallow fry it mm. and we have something in garlic called kelly welly right where you cube it you mix it up with ginger garlic and chili flakes you fry it like that oh, that great. goes with anything that's a good little thing to do but now i'm afraid now i've said this on this podcast everyone's gonna go out and buy plant it's expensive enough as it is i think there's a shortage over because of covid so maybe <laughs> you're basically pushing the price up of casios plantain <laughs> Your body cream, everything. All the things that I love. This was a terrible idea. And everybody's trying to buy red Run for London t-shirts on eBay now. I'm going to be excommunicated <laughs> from my communities, I think, for this. This is going to be... I'm going to get cancelled. This is a terrible thing. This is an awful idea. My daughter tried to warn me. Yeah. She kept coming in saying, Athena, shut up. Stop talking to this man. He's the devil. Yeah, and now she's given up. She's like, fine, <laughs> ruin your life. Ruin your life. Uh, ruin the life of everybody you love. <laughs> All right, well, just for you then we're going to put that into the time capsule but now we come to one thing that you want to get rid of from your life i know exactly i'd like to get rid of my fear of failure really? yeah i'd love to get rid of that i i know i have a fear of failure and it's not necessarily a fear of failure so much that everything i do you know in my endeavors i always do them because i want them to do well mm. you know that's always been in my brain and i've always said stop myself from doing things if I think, oh, there's a very low chance of success if I do this or whatever. And yet you do stand-up. Stand-up is absolutely full of failure, isn't it? Yeah. Failure is part of the process of stand-up. If you don't fail and don't interrogate your failure, you don't improve. Mm. And it's a constant cycle. So even I've been a stand-up for a long time now and I've, you know, I've sent some material to um, somebody this morning and I thought to myself, this might probably fail. (laughs) They might hate it. And and if they do, I have to learn from that and get better. That's just the nature of, does this make you laugh or does it not make you laugh? Mm. If it doesn't make you laugh, it's no good. And the only way you can know that is to put your work under that kind of scrutiny where there will always be a risk that it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. If I write a joke, the only way I can know if it's any good is if I stand up in front of 100 people and I go, my mother-in-law or whatever it is I've decided to write about that day. So I think because... I got into stand-up fairly late in life. Mm. I was 31, which is a little older than... People do it at that age, but generally, I mean, there were people I know who started when they were 18, you know, yes. which amazes me. I would never have had the maturity to be a stand-up when I was 18. Maybe they don't. <laughs> well, so, um, no comment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no comment on that, but I, I love them all the same, man. It's all it's all great, isn't it? But mm. I um, by the time I was 31, I'd had so much confirmation from the people around me in my personal professional life that I probably had a way with words and a way of looking at things that would work in a comedy world. That was kind of like my buffer yeah. into doing something with that and making it a little less 
high risk. I don't get that get me wrong. If I was to show you my first book of jokes, you would just be mortified. It would be awful. Just <laughs> absolute garbage. Just just the most yeah, if they was to be found now, Twitter would have a field day. They'd just be like, you just you know, Piers Morgan would come out and have a go at me. That's how bad it would have been. It would be. So I was still bad, but I always knew that there was probably a foundation there that would create uh, somebody who could be good in that creative field. Yeah. But generally speaking, I don't like to get into things unless I know with a high degree of so I think those things are going to work out really well. And for that reason, it took me a long time to get into scripted comedy because I thought, oh, I'd be really bad at it or... You know, and even then, like I said, like I was 31 when I started doing comedy, but I would have, I probably could have started it five years earlier. You mm. know, there was no reason for me not to. And there was still, you know, like I write things now and I think, should I send them to this person? Oh, no, no, I'll wait until it's a bit better. Mm. And now I, I try and live my life through a philosophy of get it done and then get it right. Yeah. You know, and that's what I'm trying to do. But it would really help if you could just, take and extract this fear of failure from me right now so okay. rather than trying to do it it becomes a natural part of my life but yeah fear of failure is a silly thing because when you fail at something no one cares you know, mm-hmm. literally unless of course you're trying to launch a spaceship and it explodes and lots of people <laughs> care about that um, but generally speaking most of our things are quite low risk you know you bake a cake and it comes out and it looks like you've eaten it already and it's just come out of the oven you know like it's no one cares no and um, even in comedy I think there's a certain joy in a failed joke absolutely because there's no fourth wall in comedy so sometimes when your joke fails something happens in the room that you can just make funny yeah because you're revealing a vulnerability which actually will endear you to an audience i think oh absolutely self-awareness is really important most of the time and some of the times the audience is wrong and i tell them about i tell them if they're wrong (laughs) (laughs) sometimes they're wrong and sometimes they're right but you know i very much have learned to be so comfortable on stage now i don't mind saying things that people think is garbage especially because you get so good at comedy if you say one thing that's not funny you've got a hundred things in your back pocket that are Mm. so you can scatter you know you can scatter crap amongst the gold you know yeah um that thing of knowing that the audience is wrong is also a good sense to have i think oh yeah yeah. there's a writer called david knobs who wrote a thing called reggie perrin i know reggie perrin yes yes and leonard rossiter was the star of reggie perrin and an old actor and there was a joke that leonard rossiter wanted to do in one of the television programs and david knobs said but it's not funny and he said no it is funny it's really i promise you let me do it it'll get a big laugh and he did it and it went to complete silence. So afterwards, <laughs> David said to him, I told you it didn't work. I told you it wasn't funny. And he said, no, no, it is funny. They just don't know it's funny. Exactly, yeah. If Leonard Ruster can say that, and I love the way you, had to, you felt that you had to explain who he was. I'm really old, Michael. It's very sweet that <laughs> you think I don't know him. <laughs> I explain almost everything I talk about to everybody because I assume that nobody knows my world. Let me take that as a compliment, okay, please. I haven't been complimented all day. It's my compliment. Okay. I'm having it. <laughs> if he can say that, I'll say it. Um, but you do, get, you do get a good sense. Sometimes the audience is just tired. Sometimes the act before you has been terrible and they're just like, just want to go home. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it is me but sometimes it isn't. I'd say 50-50. <laughs> well, I don't think you need to have any fear of failure. I think you have a great future ahead of you. Oh, bless you, Michael. Thank you. And I look forward to watching it. So, uh, Athena, thank you so much for doing this. and for Thank you. It's been really, really fun talking to you. And I look forward to coming around and having plantain one day. Absolutely. If I can afford it, you know. <laughs> Once the price goes times up. Times are getting tough, so you better come around quickly because I think the, the inflation will start as soon as you put this podcast out. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Athena Kublenu. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to it and download all episodes for free on Acast, CastBox, Apple, Spotify, or, well, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You just search for My Time Capsule, or for me. Uh, this has been a cast-off production. The producer was John Fenton-Stevens. The music is by Pass the Peas Music. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm feeling a little bit broody, so I'm off to FaceTime my grandkids. Keep well. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.